So today's a special day. Uh, you guys may have saw the uh, link in the subreddit, but if you look at the numbers now in the Steam store, there are 1,700 Linux games. Wowee. Yeah. That's a serious number. Is it number. Linux games, or does that include movies and DLC? It includes anything that when you search by the Linux uh, or SteamOS plus Linux tag. So whatever they classify which, anything. Which includes... Oh, look uh, at this, though. Hey, uh, hold on. Hold on. DLC. Hold on. Stop there. Stop there. They've filtered it just based on games. They're filtering just based on games. So it is 1,700 games. Uh, cool. That's yeah. impressive. That is pretty impressive considering it's not been that long and the I Steam mean, machines are yeah. not that established. Two years ago, what was that that's, number? That's gone up 700 just since January. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you know what else I recalled from our discussion about the performance of the uh, first generation Steam machines? We were discussing you know, their frame rate and we were discussing the benchmarks and how the Steam machines were a little disappointing mm-hmm. and we were kind of bummed about that. And then I realized... They still are benchmarking better than consoles. Like, the, like so, you know, because their competitors, right, are the other consoles, the PlayStation right. and the Xbox One and the Nintendo. And, and in terms of raw performance, they can push higher resolution with higher frame rates than any of those consoles can. So as far as consoles go, it actually is a higher performer. Which when you think about, like, the fact they put a spinning rust drive in there and all that kind yeah. of stuff, when you realize that their real competitor is other consoles, it kind of makes more sense. Yes. Another thing to consider is um, it's just been released, right? What other console or anything in history has had that many titles upon release? That's pretty amazing. Yeah, really. Yeah, wow. Yes. Wow, really? 1,700? And if you figure only 800 of them are any good. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's still crap ratio. Yeah. <laughs> but not just that. The big issue that consoles have is that you can't take your console game to your PC Right. Yeah. And well actually I think the bigger issue with consoles is next generation bye bye all your money that you spent on all those games whereas Sometimes. Steam machine more likely than not your games are going to be portable to your new hardware. Fair point. I do want to point out though um you're talking about 1700 titles the NES I believe only had about 780 something titles yeah. and the SNES actually had 385 Right right wow. I mean it is a huge yeah it is it is a huge amount of num- titles really Well what are you laughing at what no, are you uh, just just playing over here with the with the with a uh, little thing we'll be reviewing later in the show yep. yeah nice tease there Wes Isn't that funny looking That's though hilarious. It really is yeah you guys will see what Wes is talking about I have uh, your screen capture set up too so we can show it to oh, the perfect. video uh, yeah, I just we thought see it. you can already see it. It's too late. They've <laughs> seen everything. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. 1,700 titles. Congratulations. Something else that came up this week, I never even really thought about it, but uh, you guys may or may not recall that I have been using Spider Oak on one of my machines. So all of my sync thing and my BitTorrent sync and my Dropbox on one computer in my, in my office, I have them all installed. And on that computer, I also have Spider Oak installed, and it, backups all, it backs up all of those peer-to-peer or non-cloud-like storage-based sync services to Spider Oak. And so I'm, and I'm like, my photos go to Spider Oak. Right. So Spider Oak's like one my, more offsite. It's place. my final destination. Like, yeah, sure, there might be a few, several copies here and there, but Spider Oak's like the master backup. Well, today, they ran a blog post. Yeah. We ditched Google, they say. We gave it some thought, and we realized we were hypocrites. Since inception, Spider Oak has been an advocate for online privacy. Unlike others in our market, we strive to be very clear about how our product design truly delivers zero-knowledge privacy for our users. 
So for the past five years, we've been using Google Analytics for monitoring our web traffic. Innocent enough decision, right? Then we asked ourselves, are we contributing to mass surveillance of the web by using a feature-rich yet free service that tracks web visitors? Sadly, we didn't like the answer to that question. Yes, by using Google Analytics, we are furthering the erosion of privacy on the web. Wow. Wow. I, you know, Google Analytics? Really? I guess, I guess it is a really great tracking system for Google, isn't it? I mean, it lets them it's a little, you know, a little insight into every little oh, website that uses it. Man, now I have to think about this. I got a Wimpy, what do you use for Ubuntu Mate uh, on the website? Are you using any kind of analytics package? I am. Are you using Google? <laughs> I am. Yeah. I did I did uh, I did look into using Pwik, but um uh the simple fact is I haven't had the time to actually, you know, sit down and set it up. Right, the other but nice thing about I... it is that they're, you know, it's fairly quick and they're introducing real-time features, so it's getting more and more competitive too. So how do you also it's, it's great it, it's more than what Google Analytics does and and recently I was reading about it. I've got the tabs open now. <laughs> I was reading about it as a means of um effectively tracking um podcast downloads as I've well. looked into that as well, Ooh. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be very good at that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's potentially we you know, use it. one of its like nifty features. JB in the past, I don't anymore, but for a period of time and I used a really nice WordPress press plugin that just did this for me and it would append uh, the tracking code information I needed to be able to track downloads through analytics and I would use that to verify the pod track numbers and what I discovered mm. is that the pod track numbers are crazy conservative pod track is what was sort of the sort of the industry standard that advertisers respect and now I understand it's because they screw you on, <laughs> on downloads massively you know like if That's really interesting yeah like if if it is it is they'll, they'll take out entire SWAT like Wi-Fi downloads They'll take those out, you know, things, just all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it is Wi-Fi really. users. Yeah. They're the worst. They don't care. No, not all. Anything. Not all Wi-Fi users, but like public Wi-Fi and things okay. like that. They just t- cut it all out. I Anyways. See. So analytics was a really nice third party way to sort of see the gap there. Um, but I don't know. You know, I, I over the last couple of years have started to think more and more about the long term ramifications of Google collecting this information, not just, mm. oh, they know where I've been this year. But what does it mean when they know after 10 years of my mm. web browsing history or five years? And am I contributing that to my audience? Am I, you know, am I am I subjecting my audience to that? So I've been thinking about it more and more. So to see Spider Oak come out with this post. I don't know. I, I also have not found an open source solution that is compelling to me. Right. It would be interesting if theirs wasn't so niche. You know, like they say here, like like lots of other companies with high traffic websites, we are a technology company, one with a deep team of software developer expertise. So like they, you know, they have people on payroll. They can just spin this up. It'd be interesting to see that open sourced or there, something yeah, like, you know, and, more competitive. And for me, it's nice because I can see, okay, what topics maybe were a little more popular? Right. What topics did people share a little bit more? The other thing I, I have used analytics for is when looking at 2016, and going, okay, well, where should I take the rover? And what areas are likely to have, you know, enough people to meet you up? You can kind of get an insight into where your base is. Analytics gives me that. So I, w- I just wanted to put, the, put it out there to the audience. If you know of a better replacement, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, I would consider, you know, I very much would consider replacing Google Analytics if it was something that was fast, maybe something I could host on a droplet or, or somewhere that would give really good response times because I don't want it to cause my website to slow down. No. And so, uh, Pwick is really the only open really? source game in town. Yeah, and and you yeah, found it's, just... it's good. It's good, but I've I've not I've not set it up in anger. I've only I've only played with the demos. But uh, you know, from what I've looked at, 
it's the only option. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 122 for December 8th, 2015. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's already feeling a little bit of that holiday cheer, a.k.a. booze. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. <laughs> hey, Wes. Guess what? We got a pretty big show today. We sure do. Episode 122 of the Linux Unplugged show is here to put it in your face. That's right. Coming up, we're going to talk about Mozilla, Thunderbird, all of that shenanigans. What's going on with Thunderbird? What does our virtual lug think about it? And then today... Today, like salt in the wound, Mozilla has a big announcement, and I'm going to ask just what the hell's going on with Mozilla, and I want to see what people in our virtual lug think. I want to see what you think. It is really something, Wes. We're going to do a big, expanded, double-segment conversation on the state of Firefox, Mozilla, and Thunderbird. It's a massive, massive project with major importance for the Linux desktop, so we're going to dedicate a lot of time to it today. Then, later on in the show... New release today, Crossover, version 15 just came out. Now, this is the application that made it possible for me to switch to Linux years ago. Years and years and years ago. And they have their 15th version today. I installed it on Wes's computer. I'm going to give him a first hands-on boom, drop in his Boy, am I excited. See what your impressions are. So we'll do that. We'll go through. And also, I'll do the installation live right here on my machine because I think it's actually, it's, it's, it's all kind of like... Uh, no other version of any kind of Linux desktop app. It is really a unique installation process, maybe a little more familiar to Windows users. I want to just show it to you guys to document kind of a slick thing that they've developed for getting software installed on Linux, and then you can see what you can do with it. So uh, coming up later in the show, we'll be talking about all of that stuff. And it is actually really cool what it can do. Play on Linux is a thing. I, you know, Wine, obviously you could run Wine on the command line, but there is something that Crossover brings to the table. And we also have a discount so you can save some money on it coming up later in the show. So we got a lot to talk about, plus a bunch of other things, some feedback and follow-up. So let's bring in that Mumble Room. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome here. It is, you know, I feel like it is... Uh, Maybe going to be one of those shows where we get cut off in the middle because it is extremely windy and rainy here today. Yes, it is. It has been very stormy. And uh, last time that happened, we literally lost power in the last few seconds of the show. <laughs> Remember that? It was like a couple that of weeks ago. That was a lot ago. of fun. Uh, just stay <laughs> tuned, everyone. If we disappear, we will do everything we can to come back. Right, right. Uh, so we have a couple of things I wanted to just uh, follow up on before we get into uh, the main show because – there is a topic that every now and then I feel like this show is perfect to discuss because we've got you and I who are both big podcast listeners and we've got our virtual lug and a lot of them. They got opinions, man. And they are big podcast they listeners sure as well. And so uh, there was a question that was submitted to the subreddit and I wanted to kind of kick it around. It's not extremely Linux related, although I would be curious to hear people's Linux solution. Uh, but it came in from, I'm going to say Vinci. Vahinchi is how you say it. He says, I'm looking for solutions to sync podcasts between Android and my Linux desktop. He says, I guess the title kind of explains it all, but I'm curious as to what others elegant or maybe not so elegant solutions to sync podcasts between their Android and Linux desktop. My goal is to be able to listen to a podcast on my drive to work and then sit down at work and continue where I left off and vice versa. Now, Wes, do you have any solutions for this? I'll go to you first. I know somebody in the mumble room must. They but. must. I, you know, not in my own life. I'm. Uh, do you just only listen in the car? No, you know, I do listen. I do listen kind of both places. 
I usually end up using something on the back end to sync, uh, sync thing, what have you, to, to get the file. And then do I'm, you just jump ahead? I just jump. You know, I, it's not – I'm you usually just, like, not listening to too DLC. many things at mm-hmm. once that mm-hmm. is enough to be like, oh, 42, 53. All right. That's fine. Uh, but I do wonder yeah. if something like Plex or MB. I know MB will do music oh, for you. Oh, interesting. And that's kind of already – already has the multiple devices You know, I'll mind. tell you. So my use case is uh, I, uh, I drive – a right. lot now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You don't say. And so I but, – but then like I really get into the show and I want to finish it up as I get to the studio or as I get to the rover. Yeah. And as you're so, doing things, setting up, whatever. Yeah. And so I have – or you know the other thing which has been really nice is Hadia and I have been sharing some podcasts like uh, 99% Invisible, Invisibilia, and Serial, mm. which are great shows. But like we only listen to them while we're in the vehicle together. And sometimes we're in her vehicle, sometimes we're in my vehicle, so it's really nice to bring the sync state between us. And and I love this as a podcaster because, like, the idea that we are, like, we're almost saving up podcasts and watching them like you would a Netflix series right. or something like that. Sharing so them together. And- so, yeah, I'm like, this, I, I want to encourage this. This is great. Uh, this is really exciting as a content creator that this is happening. So I wanted to find a system that would work kind of in all of these different scenarios. And Wimpy, I'm going to go to you first because I know you're a big podcast listener and a podcaster. What are you doing right now to kind of solve this problem? Because this must be something you face. Well, just recently, I've, I've been using Pocket Casts on Android for, for a long, long time. And just recently, I've discovered that they've now got a web player that stays in sync with what you've been listening to on your mobile device. So you can stop listening on your mobile device go to your Linux computer, log into the web service, which you have to pay another fee for. So you pay once for the Android client right. and once for the web player, but then you can switch between them seamlessly and it keeps all of your podcast playback in sync. Plus you're given you're given a great you're given a great podcast application uh, a little bit of money. Uh, which I I wrong with don't that. think there is a better podcast playing platform out there yeah especially to have something like this that's not tied with a bigger corporation right. or in you know apple's oh, environment I, I, they're gonna have to get bought up eventually i would imagine but maybe not they've got a decent sized team they're making decent revenue right now they make a really good app on android ios and and i really really appreciate this the 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 tablet version is really first rate and really tablets make for great podcast listeners because not only do they have a great battery life but they have usually better speakers in your phone so you don't need to hook up any additional speaker so just for going around the house a tablet's a great podcast listening machine and the pocket cast tablet version is great it's great in I'll fact to try that out. we've talked about it a lot we went in depth on coda radio on the the design of pocket cast because they they took a lot of what's great about material and then went their own direction with it and uh it is really a fantastic app so i you, it's like five bucks or and whatever look, they even have the windows store <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh, good. We're covered, guys. Got that problem solved. Uh, so it is It is really quite fantastic. And it'll also sync between iOS. So like if you have an iPad and an Android phone. Nice. Right. Uh, and then the web player, like Wimpy's saying, this is my go-to solution. Wimpy just, just basically uh, covered mine. Um, because it does have sync, it has continuous playback, uh, it also uh, has server-side feed checking, which is very nice. So server-side feed checking means that essentially they check remotely for you. So your phone isn't wasting battery life going out and checking all these different RSS feeds. And then you only get the push. When you get the Right. You get the push nice. when they found something new. And I think that is a fantastic way to do it because early on, podcast catchers, 
I'm looking at you, dog catcher. And others on Android were just battery vampires. And so this is a great way to do it. And you don't even need to have Android. You can have iOS and just a web player. Anybody else in the mumble room have like a, uh, a podcast sync solution? Because this is a good one, but you've got to spend some money and it's closed source. And I'm looking for something free and open, something that could sync playback location, maybe if possible. You know, and, and of course there's things like Subsonic and the thing that replaced Subsonic, the project that replaced that, but uh, Mad Sonic, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, whatever. It, yeah. We talked about it. <laughs> yeah, we did. A podcast addict is is being mentioned. All right, so Pocket Cast. I think that's sort of the go-to as long as you're okay with spending a little bit of. In fact, maybe I can show you guys uh, the. Uh, do you use do you use a, you don't use a podcast catcher at all on I your don't, Android? No. What do you how, do you listen to and do podcasts on your phone? I do. I just use VLC. You're you're kidding I make me. Make playlists if it's a long drive. You're kidding me. No. Really? I'm old school, I guess. Uh, I was just, I was just about to say another option for some is like if you have something that a streaming player like if you have VLC on your at home and you have that web interface mm-hmm, or a console mm-hmm, interface mm-hmm. you can pause it and then just attach to your if you if you have it you know port forwarded or on a DigitalOcean droplet perhaps then you can just use, do that way to keep things in sync okay so it's play.pocketcast.com for the web version so like say i go here to tom's uh, you know you go here to tom's uh, daily tech show well i've got some really crazy subscriptions on podcast <laughs> anyways these are not my current subscriptions but so, let's so say <laughs> yeah, you want to listen to sex with emily right uh, have you ever listened to sex with emily no i haven't well it's not a good show but let's just say you want to listen to sex with emily and you were f- several minutes into it now i'm not but it would sync up right here in the web i'm gonna hit play just to get an idea hey, what that everyone, looks thanks like thanks for listening to sex with emily you know how much I love sharing the best sex toys and products with you. Well, on today's show, I've got not one, but two lovely ladies whose entire business is helping people pick the right toys for them and ways to enhance a relationship. They'll be sh- there. You go. Ways to enhance your relationship, Wes. Now, is you- the relationship with the toy, or is it? With I, the human. I think it's probably with the human and the okay. toy together, Got but it. I'm not sure. I, you know what? That's I, probably that. I'd that have to listen to that really great episode of Sex with Emily to check that out. But so, say you want to listen to Sex with Emily. I'm trying to show you here in the web version. You have like 10 seconds back, 30 seconds skip forward. But the other thing that's really cool, let's keep listening to Sex with Emily. Let's let's keep listening. We'll go a little bit further in. Uh, uh-oh, it's... Nation it is today. Now watch this. I love it. I can speed up playback right here in the web browser. That is really nice. Now I can listen to Emily in fast 2x speed. Chipmunk sex? What could be better? But, you know, hey, you can customize it. It comes with seven vibration modes. According to Mashable, the Eyes Izzy Vibe plans to launch in June 2016. So it's basically an attachment. It's not so bad. No, it's not. That's probably the best way to listen to sex with Emily. So there you go. There's Pocket Cast. And, yes, I was playing with that. And also, the other thing I was playing with... Uh, before the show, because uh, I thought it would be a little funny, is um, I fed in a custom AR RSS. So check what check this out, Wes. This was my little solution because I was just playing around with different things on Pocket Cast, and uh, I brought in. Are you familiar with Pinboard? Mm-hmm. So Pinboard is a great bookmarking service that kind of replaces delicious, replaces delicious and others. And Pinboard allows you to bookmark things with tags, uh-huh. and each tag can actually have its own RSS feed. So what I've started doing is I, I, I have started tagging things with Pocket Cast in Pinboard, and then I can pull them in to a Pocket Cast RSS feed already set up in Pocket Cast, so when I jump in the car, I can listen to that. Wow. I'm just starting to mess with that because my, my main podcast catcher of choice is Overcast, which also has a web client. Yes, I've played with Overcast a little bit before. Yeah, uh, but Pocket, So one of the things that's been fun with Pocket Cast is I, so I have my own custom feed. And the other thing that's nice about Pocket Cast is as a really good discovery. That's how I found uh, Sex with Emily there, which, uh, of course, 
had to put that in the podcast. See, this sounds like a really good way if you wanted to share with someone else who maybe wasn't up to like making that custom. But if you sort of picked podcasts yeah, you exactly. wanted to share and they could just tune in and listen. That was actually what I was thinking uh, is I'm so uh, I have a couple of different cousins that at Thanksgiving were like, all right. Let's talk about podcasts. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, okay. let's talk about podcasts. Let's do it. And so now I'm just going to be able to give them a feed and I'm going to put it in a bit.ly and I'll just say subscribe to this feed and I'll just start putting really good shows in there for you. I'm going to do like my own playlist for them using uh, – I mean pin- only throwing in a few JB, you know, now and again. Right. And of course episodes with Sex with Emily. Of well, course. of course. Yes. And I'm going to throw them in there like, you know, some 99s and some, some other things in there that I just think are really good shows and put them in there and they'll just have a nice curated feed. And it's a really nice way to send media to your phone in an RSS feed. And because Pocket Cast does that remote refresh, as soon as you open up Pocket Cast, they're ready to go. I got to say that's pretty, that's pretty killer. I mean that's, that's making me interested. Maybe my uh, single MP3 files aren't enough. So, uh, Kitson, uh, you're a podcast listener. What do you, what's your solution for listening on the go? I just use my smartphone, old school. Yeah. And what, are you doing like Wes and using VLC on there or what? What, what were you using, an app? Are you an animal? What's going on? Uh, pretty much I just use the media player on my phone, uh, which uh, right now is uh, Dead Beef. Ooh, I didn't realize they had a uh, Dead phone beef version. Is a, the Dead Beef is a thing on the phone? Like... Okay. It is. Uh, you have to pay for the extra codex if you uh, listen to anything uh, too fancy, uh, like uh, SNES rips and whatnot. So if you're into like chip tunes, uh, but I Which just I use like? a uh, I use a feed reader uh, to get the uh, podcasts, and then I just uh, upload them on my phone and put them in my playlist. And it's interesting how many people do that. Uh, that is actually, uh, huh? Yeah. That is uh, – G. Potter is a great one uh, for the desktop being mentioned. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts in the moment before we move on from this topic? Uh, I do. Uh, um, I have a oh, OK. Uh, for, uh, hold on. Whoever had the really great voice, go first and then uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? I think uh, that was yeah, me. Hey, hey, citizen. Is that Hey Citizen? Hey Citizen. Yeah. What's going on? Hey. Um, yeah, I was just going to mention uh, I use AntennaPod, which uh, also works – uh, with uh, G Potter, it doesn't sync location, but at least you'll have the same podcasts. Oh, th- good mm. tip! Thank yeah. you. That is really great. So it, it just shares like your subscription list, essentially. Yeah. Oh, that is nice. You, yeah. It uses your uh, G Potter account. Uh, thank you. Okay, so yeah, yeah. So G Potter, which is a great one if you're listening on the desktop. Now, who was right after uh, Hey Citizen? There. That was me. Okay, go ahead. So. Uh, I was just going to kind of extrapolate on what Wes was saying with SyncThing. Um, as other people are saying, they have their desktop feeders that they like. So you just take your desktop feeder and you have it download whatever the podcast is, have SyncThing sync it to your phone, and then you can have automatic syncing over to your phone from your desktop and have the same files wherever you go. And then whatever you, media you like to open those files with on your phone, you can use that. You know what I would really like, to be honest with you, and and there are some things that uh, I would just like to be able to have, and I think it's so close, but I just haven't connected all the dots yet, is I honestly would just love to be able to send the audio from my phone to my desktop and just keep playing everything from the phone yes, and just walk in and be like, okay, remote audio send to my desktop. And because I have 
for editing purposes here at the studio, I have nice studio monitor quality speakers, right? And so if I can listen to a podcast on that, I'm going to. Right. And I would love to just be able to sit down and be like, send a Pulse audio server and then the audio from my – like kind of like Apple AirPlay. Only I don't think Apple AirPlay lets you send to machines. You can send to like devices, but you can't send to like a desktop. I would like to be able to send – or Bluetooth audio or I something. I wonder if – you know, there might, that might, I know you can do the reverse. I'm thinking. So I, yeah. there must be a way to get Pulse yeah. just to do it that way. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mr. Blaster, I'll let you have uh, the last word on this one. So um, I don't know if uh, – the first thing that comes to mind is maybe getting uh, like a Google Chromecast emulator or something yeah, that yeah, could receive right. on, on the PC. But I, I have looked know. a little bit for like Chromecast-type servers, but Google has actually been killing the project. So I've been – so right. it's funny you say that because I have specifically like, well, maybe I could make my machine pretend like it's a Chromecast because, well, fuck, right. it's Linux. Yep. So I'll just put – uh-huh. yeah. No, no, no. Which Google is a good is, topic. I mean – Google, I know. We talk I wa- about Google so positively. I, I wanted to make. I wanted to make. I wanted to make a whole segment out of it. And Google keeps killing these projects. And like with lawsuit, re- uh, all kinds of threats. It's it's not good stuff. But uh, if you know of so, a way to do this, blaster. So um, I don't know of a way to do it with Google Cast. However, uh, there is a product called Air Server, which emulates a uh, an Apple AirPlay um, receiver. And that Ooh. works. It, it is paid. It is proprietary and and commercial. Hmm. So you do have to pay for it. But so you're saying um, it would be easier to use my iPhone to send audio to the Linux desktop than it is my Android? It, that's device? the thing, though. I think <laughs> you can use anything. I think I think it supports anything. We used it I'm in. Play with uh, this. We used it in the office actually. Um, we uh, installed it on the PC. There is a Windows version of Air Server. Uh, we had a Windows PC running in the in the conference room. And then anytime we wanted to uh, cast something with our laptops, instead of dragging out the old HDMI cable, we just use this Air Server. But you're saying they have a Linux version? They do have a Linux server because they say Mac I or PC. I don't. I don't think they have a Linux version. Oh. But I'd imagine it runs well in crossover. Yeah, I will give that a shot later. Right? Yeah, exactly. That might be something to try. Yeah, in the same, well, same vein, UPnP, DLNA, there might be something there. Like, right, there's think, already like Bubblecast. I think stuff that's on the phone. where your best bet would be under Android is to have a playback client that supports DLNA or some other streaming protocol, and then find a DLNA server or some other streaming server on Linux that it could connect yeah, to. Yeah, just send it as a receiver yeah. and queue it up. Yeah, that's what I think maybe the best bet is, but I don't, I don't have all that uh, put together. Is that essentially what you were going to say, Kitson? Yes, I was actually just going to suggest uh, putting a DNLA uh, server on your phone and just streaming it to your computer or vice versa. I VLC will to- play DLNA, so... I haven't looked too much into it. I just did a quick search on, like, Pulse Audio on Android, and it looks like there is Pulse Audio on Android. So you could uh, do the audio stream so when you get mm. home, you connect to the audio stream and then I would, you have it. I would like to try this. I think I this is too. worth playing with. So, And I see Rikai's got a couple of links in there. He's busticating out, too. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, well, Rikai's got that Google Foo like you wouldn't believe. Uh, okay. Huh. So there's a couple different ways to skin it. So all cast is what uh, Rikai is. <laughs> what is this? Hey, all cast is the new app that plays photos, music, and videos all from your phone right to your TV. Watch this. It's like magic. You know, That's, kitties are complicated. What's that's, not? He's holding an iPhone. He sure is. That's an iPhone. <laughs> complicated is the all cast app. It's so simple. I'll play you a video. You, yeah, you with the ears. (laughs) I do love kids. But you know what? How simple is that? That's as simple as pie. Hillbillies with mullets. It's as simple as 
air or blinking. There's no more crowding around your phone. It's the ultimate slideshow. You just throw it up on your big, beautiful, high-definition television. It's great. All right. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. That is worth checking out. So it's called All Cast, and uh, you can find it in the Play Store. There, there's got to be something to it here. But, uh, yeah, interesting. All right. Anybody else have any last thoughts on syncing podcasts between your mobile device and your desktop device before we get out of this segment? And, and really, I would love to hear what people do that are listening too, because I, yes, that's, you know, those, these are the people that are listening on in their commute right now are exactly the people I'm talking to. What are you doing? Linux action show at reddit.com. Go find one twenty two and let me know because I want to, I have one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, give it to me. So I used to listen to a lot of podcasts when I used to commute a lot, uh, probably about seven years ago uh, when I first started listening to podcasts. And back then I used to have it synchronizing between, uh, you know, my phone and, um, my desktop and everything. And it worked and it has continued to work since then. And unfortunately it's on iOS. They have nailed <laughs> this and we still haven't. And it, it's frustrating and depressing, but it has worked for a very long time and we still haven't caught up. It's very sad, isn't and it? I actually, and maybe, you know, m- my perspective is perhaps you could suggest a bit skewed, but I feel like this is an area that is maybe more and more relevant than ever. On-demand media is becoming the norm even for mainstream media. Right. And to not have a super great solution here is is kind of embarrassing because Apple has their crappy podcast client. You've got, uh, of course, Google's Google Play is getting to the podcast scene. There's going to be a lot of proprietary solutions here for this, or they're already here today. Uh, I'm looking at Stitcher. I'm looking at Apple Podcasts, I'm looking at, you know, all those things that are already existing. And this is one more time on the Linux desktop where it's like, you can do it, but you have to hobble together your own solution. Hobble right. together. And how many times have we heard that phrase? Oh, yeah, you can do it. You just have to hobble it together. It is, we, I hate that. I hate that. It's not a, it's not a good answer. it's not surprising when, you know, when Apple own, you know, top to bottom the entire stack, every platform that they're on, they can do that kind of tight integration across every device across two different operating systems you know for a long time and keep that integration working for a actually, long time actually whereas we're constantly replacing our stacks and replacing our frameworks and i would argue actually no, devices. no i have to disagree i have to i have to disagree uh apple is constantly screwing up their cloud-based solutions uh their cloud syncing stuff barely works after all these years in fact for a company that's as rich as they are it's embarrassing how bad their cloud infrastructure is and they still don't have it working and they are they are okay, always changing wanna, it even as of sorry one more one last point it's even as recently as ios 8 they completely redid the back-end storage infrastructure for how their cloud system works i mean it, they're constantly right. making changes and and that that may all be true but the only question you're asking about syncing podcasts and that has worked yeah. reliably <laughs> Forever, right? Damn it! I don't care about any of that other stuff. But I'm just pointing out, like, was about I'm, I'm, but I'm pointing out, like, Popey. but they're they're fairly they're fairly a mess here, and yet that's they still manage to make it work. I think that's actually my point, right? Which is yeah. like bizarre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Wimpy, what were you going to say? Uh, well, Popey was making the point that everyone keeps changing their stacks all the time, and I was saying that there's some people that uh, are not basking in the glamour of all the new and shiny, but just you know st- staying with tried and true. Yeah, I I look at this now and I think this has got to be something that we will figure out. And there's projects out there like uh, Vocal. Have you seen Vocal? I have not. Vocal is mm. – uh, it's under the umbrella of the elementary project. There's things out there that have been out there for a long time like G-Potter and Bash Potter. 
But none of them, none of them really have solved this problem. G Potter was ahead of it. If you think about it, G Potter created the G Potter they've been accounts. There forever, yeah. yeah, they've been they've been ahead of this, but they still haven't quite sealed the deal yet. Maybe it's because they don't feature JB Ooh, content. Vocal is pretty, I will say. Yeah, they have a nice kind of yeah yeah vocal is almost nice. popcorn time ish interface. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they, and the problem is, is are you going to bet on an elementary OS project? I don't know. I don't know. If, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you're, hey, I'm not saying dude. that it won't, but I just don't know about the staying power as yet. That's imagine, fine. imagine where your, you know, your, the the use case being you want to keep in sync between, you know, your commute to work and then when you arrive at work. What if it's one device and you're on the way to work with your phone? You get to work, you plug it in. It's <laughs> not you're not you. changing application. It's the same app. You just Hold on. unpause it. Hold on. You mean instead of remote sending audio or syncing to files between two systems using some sort of third party proprietary service, I just have one computer that does it all that I already carry with me in my pocket every it's day, everywhere. Couldn't be done. Couldn't be. Who could ever dream up something crazy like that? Uh, hmm. I well, still well done, Popey. Half yeah, half but, an hour before you mentioned Ubuntu Touch. Yeah, that was actually not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> but Chris did have a point You're on welcome. that of why not to do that or why to do the multiple setup system and that you have nicer sound quality from your desktop than you do your phone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do Android support like USB audio devices? Could I if I already had like a USB DAC setup? Can you do that from a phone? No, but you know what I ha- I don't think of that. I don't think you... Well, I don't uh, actually... Yeah, you yeah, yeah. just be on the go. Well, because yeah. then there you go. If you've got that a decent phone actually... that supports modular, you know, devices. Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, Noah's dad is trying to record his band using his S6 on Ting. <laughs> we should probably feature that. I'd like to hear that. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting point because there are... We should mention physical solutions. You could also get a headphone jack. You know, you could hook up your 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 uh, unit, your speakers with a headphone jack to your phone mm-hmm. and listen to the podcast that way, and that would also work. So there are s- hardware solutions, but I'm just curious what other Linux users uh, do for this, and this is probably a good um, platform to ask that question. All right, uh, let us know your thoughts. Linux Action Show at Reddit.com or JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. Speaking of mobile devices, let's talk about Ting, my secret weapon to actually giving my small business. Real connectivity. I couldn't actually afford like the uh, duopoly carriers' uh, prices. No way. No. You don't have like two hundred dollars a month just to throw away. It's two hundred. You don't. Use? I think two hundred dollars. So let's. You know, I actually think for. So we have three lines we're using right now on uh, cellular. I think two hundred dollars is generous. I think that would actually. Be, I think it would be probably. Boy, I, do, I bet you couldn't get under one ninety five. Uh, then you do taxes, and I, I bet you're over. Oh yeah, those taxes. Two twenty something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's great because my bill through Ting, like 40, 45 bucks. Wow. Yeah. So go to linux.ting.com to support this show, but also get your, tw- get a $25, get yourself a $25 discount just off any device. Or if you've got a compatible device with Ting, $25 in service credit because they've got a GSM and CDMA network, probably going to work with a device or you can get one of their SIMs, which uh, are right there on their, on their website or where else? Amazon. Amazon. Oh man. I saw that. That, that is amazing. That- all of these things just go together to make it so easy to switch someone to take. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, you know, they'll help pay your ETF. Yes. You can get the SIM card in like a day or two. Yeah. You know, you have yeah. Prime already. Yeah. And uh, your phone already works. So just switch. There's you no know, excuse. And then there's no contract. So you have no early termination fees or anything like that. You just pay for your usage. It's $6 for your line and then your usage on top of that. And because they have the CDMA or the GSM networks, you can kind of just plan where do I have better coverage or – 
you know, like this was a legit thing on the road trip. Where CDMA is stronger in some areas, and and GSM is stronger in other areas. Uh, so basically, and my my observations kind of uh, show this to be true. A lot of hills and trees, CDMA. Uh, a, a lot of flat or uh, not a lot of big hills between you and the towers, GSM. Mm. And and if you can do GSM, you're going to get like I'm getting 21 megabits, just like you know uh, four out of five bars, 21 megabits. Rocket, and that's the thing with Ting is you know they don't throttle you. You you pay Never. for what you use, so they have no incentive. The to other thing you. I like about it is they don't get in the way of the updates. They they're not you know how so many times the carrier is the blocker for you actually getting Thanks, the update. Google, yeah, Ting Ting has zero incentive to ever block the update ever. They and, and in fact in most cases the devices the the Android devices you get from the Ting store are just the pure Google experience. They're not branding them. They don't have a Ting store. They don't have a Ting Cast. Service. They don't have any like a Ting home phone service. They don't have that stuff, right? They want all integrate in one package. And the nice thing is they give you tools to really control this. They have an incredible online dashboard. They have companion apps for iOS and Android. And these dashboards are legit. They actually work. They give you full control. They let you set up names and manage it. It is a very nice experience. And then they back it all with fanatical support. You can call them at one eight five five ting ftw and human beings actually solve your problem. They have incredible online resources. They have an active YouTube channel, Twitter account, and Reddit subreddit. It is very nice. It's basically mobile for anybody who's a little bit technically savvy. If you if you're a little technical, if you have a little bit of technical cred, and you're just sick of the duopoly screwing you around and their crappy contracts and basically screwing you for anything they can, you could check out Ting. That's not part of the ad read. That's just my personal advice after over two years of using Ting. If you're tired of taking it in the butt, go to Ting. Go to linux.ting.com, linux.ting.com. You'll save $25 off your first device. They really do it right. And it's not just me that's been saying that. Uh, Consumer Reports, and this is a really big deal, just put out their annual report for 2015. And you weren't kidding. They this is an in-depth report. I mean, like, ninety thousand cellular customers sur- surveyed. Ninety thousand. Think about the work to do nine, a survey of ninety thousand. I got to like three people. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Done. I'm done. Exactly, three, dude. I don't even like people that much. I'm done. No, this is really great. So it was like the, it was the choice of CDMA and GSM that pushed them over. And you know, their incredible customer service and the great dashboard and the no hassling you. Uh, when I was on the road trip, I just I, I I had to call in one time for my MiFi device, and I I I just I kept expecting her to bail on me. Yep. Like I kept it because like it was a very complicated problem. It was very complex, and I just thought it like and it got to a certain point. I was like, it is okay if she doesn't want to help me anymore. I understand she has done everything she can, and she she stuck with me. And she and we, I mean, it really it was a forty-five minute call. It was a, it was, it was longer than I was expecting, but I was so impressed that she really stuck with it. So you combine that with uh, the fact that they have all the tools to manage your account. Uh, they have devices that are you own them outright. They're not locked down. You get them off contract, uh, and then with their with their uh, with the rest of the Ting service, it really it's obvious why they would rank so well. But it is really cool to actually see them get the recognition they deserve by Consumer Reports annual cell phone service. Report. So go to linux.ting.com, linux.ting.com, and a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged Show. You guys rock. All right. So uh, I think this is something that we started to cover. We, we, 
We started the conversation on Linux Action Show, and I want to continue the conversation here on uh, Linux Unplugged. And that is the conversation around Thunderbird and what the Mozilla Foundation wants to do with Thunderbird, some of the ideas that are being kicked around. And I don't know if you saw this idea, Wes, but there has been an idea suggested that perhaps the LibreOffice project would take over stewardship of Thunderbird. And they list some really nice benefits over on the LibreOffice documentfoundation.org wiki. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it, it seems like there are at least some people inside that strongly are against this idea or, you know, at least think it's not the right time. But it is a little interesting just given how much Microsoft has tied in Outlook and their kind of email identity solutions hmm, into their platform. That. Yeah, yeah. From the Outlook angle, it does make a lot of sense. Right. And and I would say that Mozilla, as we're going to talk about, has been mm, floundering. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm a big Mozilla fan myself, but they've made some interesting moves. Uh, we see a lot of their standard user base kind of has moved moved to Chrome or is questioning staying with Firefox. They don't they don't seem as strong as they did. And I think LibreOffice yeah. is an example of a huge success and on, in the open on source. On the wiki, they document several advantages. Uh, you could possibly even use LibreOffice as the writer for Thunderbird like you can do in Outlook, right. which a lot of my clients actually liked. You could enable contact notes to support complex formatting and pictures. You could provide a theme for Thunderbird to make it look more familiar to LibreOffice. All and of email that. does have a – I mean there's a web element, but that's kind of the worst part of email. Whereas the kind of like the document, the management, the like it is – note-taking, it is record, it is, that, that sort seems a little yeah. more LibreOffice. Now, as many of you probably listening right now already know at this point, the LibreOffice project has said they don't want it. No. Hard to blame them, but... Don't want it. One of the reasons behind the success of LibreOffice, they say, is our sharp focus on a single application, which, side note, was going to be my exact criticism if this wasn't news by the time we went on air. I was going to say that is ridiculous and LibreOffice needs to focus. And this is exactly what they're saying. They need to focus on a single application. Just going to say I was going to get on a big old noisy rant about it, but they, <laughs> they totally preempted that rant, uh, which is not going to change anytime soon. Preach it. They say we are already working on the Android and cloud versions of LibreOffice, and that is more than enough. Oh, my God. Preach it. In terms of global effort for a community-based project, we are tapped out, they're saying. Thank you. Oh my God, this is this is this is great. Uh, they say uh, they go on to say so. Please avoid any speculation based on rumors, as they might be intentionally created by our competitors. Oh, <laughs> that's quite a statement. It really is. Maybe a competitor put that rumor out there, like Microsoft. But it is really nice to see them at least saying like, no. You know, like we we have enough on our plate. It, we do. I think you do already see a lot of open source projects that are stretched thinly or have a lot of ambitious goals, which is great, but limited development time. And I don't want LibreOffice to suffer. So I want to ask the Mumble Room, and uh, we're going to get into the state of the Mozilla Foundation and what they're focusing on later. I want to save that for the conversation. I want to break this up. But I, will, I do want to start with you, Popey, because I know you have been commenting about this online. So save your thoughts on their current focus and what they're choosing to work on now instead of Thunderbird. Let's talk about that later. And, and, and I would like your opinion on who would be a good shepherd to take in this Thunderbird project. And perhaps would that person or project need to be willing to completely scrap some of the base and start over? Or, or maybe they would be – would they be somebody who just keeps it going? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. I'll start with Popey and then I'll open up the rest of the mumble room. Uh, I I don't know. I have mixed feelings because I, I, I use Thunderbird and I feel that it 
it's it's a great product and it does exactly what you know it needs to do it's great for you know personal comms and mailing lists and having large volumes of emails and you know it does the job right and okay it might not be ready for the next generation of devices it's not mobile ready for example but you know as a desktop mail client it does the job and many people have used it for many years and it seems okay so does this really need a huge amount of work that necessitates being owned by and run by a foundation or a company or some corporation or could this be a community project that you know throw the code on github put a CI system in place to gate all the mergers to make sure reliability is high and there's yeah. QA yeah. and do re- regular releases. It almost why, sounds... Why, why, does, why do you have to have LibreOffice or Apache Foundation or yeah. Collabra or any other company <clears throat> look after? Here's the thing. It. it almost... I mean, it almost sounds like you're talking down to Thunderbird. It sounds like you're kind of essentially saying, well, if you don't have any aspirations to move forward into the future... Why don't we just stick your code up on GitHub and, and, and let the Luddites that want to continue to use their old desktop paradigm poke at you and keep you good enough while the rest of us go forward and create our new convergent desktop? It almost sounds like that's what you're saying. To some degree, yeah. Because <laughs> other, people, other people are making mail clients. You know, okay. there are the Geary guys. You know, we've got Deco in Ubuntu. And there are, there are other email clients around that are being worked on yeah. that maybe – are, because they're starting later, they can not have all the craft that, that Thunderbird has yeah. that people yeah. like. I'm yeah. not saying it's bad craft. I'm saying it's good craft. Right. Right. Maybe well, they. Maybe you don't need that. And and maybe I'm wrong, Wes. But to me, it seems like uh, to do a email is something we have had now for a very long time. And to get the basic fundamentals of a good email client right, it isn't. It isn't the world's largest software project anymore. Well, just just given the number of webmail apps that people actually do use on a daily basis, right? I think that's a big part of this conversation too is what exact right. audience does Thunderbird target? Yeah. Yeah. I, I still feel like Thunderbird has relevancy. I mean, in those... I think Noah is a great example of that. Yeah. Or myself. I like Thunderbird too. I, I, I do too. Uh, I, uh, I wonder uh, – OK, Kitson, I'll go to you and then if anybody else in the mumber room wants to comment on this, uh, tag me. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. And also at some point I want to get to Wimpy on somebody who's you know, thinking about the desktop experience yeah. and, and, and what fits that. But Kitson, I'll start with you. Go ahead. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the big problem with uh, all these uh, newer applications such as Geary, they're, they're lovely, lovely applications if you have basic email needs but you can't use this in an enterprise uh someone that has like a journalist or an activist wouldn't be able to use it because it doesn't have features like encryption it's a security nightmare well the real problem with geary is that yobra has shut down and there's nobody developing geary anymore that's the real problem with geary so close and then nothing geary's dead unfortunately at least it's a zombie right now um and so that is a part of this is I have been burned by evolution and its instability. I've used – I've literally used evolution since it was something that was developed for the Linux desktop. I mean I cannot – I mean there has not – there is not – there is not – I have – I can't – I cannot sit here and tell you in any confidence that evolution is something you can use at scale because I have seriously used it its entire lifespan. It has never held up to my inbox ever. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying I have a lot of email and this thing can't handle it. Okay, so evolution, if you have minimal uh, email needs, 
It's actually really great. It has a good UI, and I love, love, love that it ties in with the GNOME calendar. Right. That is a great feature. And so I actually set up Evolution today still just to get that functionality. And there are other projects out there, like, like they're considering taking Geary and making it use the av- Evolution backend for elementary OS. That might be nice. Right. So there is something there. Uh, I've tried Kmail. Uh, I've tried Claws. I, I have tried so many different uh, – Mutt. I've tried so many different mail clients. And Thunderbird is fundamentally what I keep going, coming back to. Lightning is a great plugin. Enigmail is a great plugin. And Thunderbird has the ability to be connected to both my personal inbox and my JB inbox and not yes. dump its pants. And, and it can do search. All of these things, like nothing after all of these years has been able to compete with Thunderbird at just some core functionality that I need. And I think Thunderbird has so much in that there are kind of like disparate groups of email users, right? There's like the person who used webmail and it's fine for their personal correspondence and looking at the new shopping ads or whatever. And then you have people that need Outlook compatibility for work and Thunderbird can work there in a lot of situations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or are kind of a power user. And then you have the very power users who are using Mutt in a terminal and without Thunderbird there, there's not a lot in the middle. Yeah. In fact, that's sort of, I want to ask Wimpy about the elephant in the room and that is... With Gmail and Yahoo Mail and Hotmail and all these really nice webmail solutions and out there. And even like MailPile. You know, yeah. that we're working on them Right. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are so many that are closed source. There are so many that are locked down that users don't have access to the source code. Doesn't that almost make Thunderbird even more important, Wimpy? And doesn't that make other open source mail clients even that more relevant? Uh, I think so. I think that having um, open, free desktop email clients is as important as having open uh, web browsers in particular when you look at some you know as only what two months ago a month ago we were talking about nihilus which is a very pretty looking desktop email client Mm -hmm. but the way that it works is to abstract the email handling to yet another back-end server so now your email lives in two right um you know siloed data centers rather rather than on your computer and i just think you know with all that's going on in the world we really need to focus on an an email you know despite its flaws and despite how things are sort of overtaking it it is still the main way that commerce communicate you know commercial communication is conducted yeah can i um, pause um, you right there just for a second just because I want, to, I want to just take a moment to zoom out and appreciate the fact that what email is is sort of like a federated network of uh, social networks. Because mm. So you have a Jupyter Broadcasting server and say there's 35 people on that server that all communicate. But then we can send out to another server that is completely different but it has a whole other network of users. We have agreed upon protocols in which we exchange messages back and forth. And they can even be – get ready for this – encrypted, which is really remarkable, and we have systems that automatically scan and detect any spam communications between these federated networks. And what we have, if you were to look at it from the Web 2.0 social networking system, is like this incredible distributed social network that isn't controlled by any single company, and it is literally like nothing that would enter the market today. It's what we, mm. I think it's what we would hope would, right? Like we would love more federated services like that email. You, it's a lot of work, but you can stand up your own email right. server and interrupt completely. And, and, here's, and here's where Wimpy's point to me really strikes a, a nerve is there are companies like Google who have introduced the Gmail API. Yep. The Gmail API is the appropriate way for mail clients to interact with your Google inbox, not through IMAP. 
not through POP3, but now through the Gmail API. And they've taken the functionality of Gmail and they've exposed it as an API. And you know what? Guess what? It's better than IMAP because it's newer, it's more modern, and it's more secure. Obviously. So there's a lot of advantages to using this new Gmail API. But if you think about what that really is, is that is taking something that is this free open network and locking it down to an API. And so I think your point, Wimpy, is is well taken that these open mail clients are just as important as an open web browser is for an open web. And so I'm curious, you know, as somebody who's looking at putting together a desktop, how does that influence your decision on maybe would you include a mail client what would you want from that? And does the state of Thunderbird really make an impact there? I think it's too early to say what decisions I might take regarding email clients, certainly in the short term. I I won't be moving away from Thunderbird and I shall just have to be a, uh, a spectator and watching how, how things develop. There are, as you've said, there are other e, uh, open source email clients you can hold light to uh, Thunderbird. Yeah, I agree. And so, and I think Thunderbird's one of those projects that's important enough that uh, it's always there's there's always going to be a solution for Thunderbird users. It's too important, and too many users for too long have used it. It's been here forever. I and, mean, yeah, and businesses use it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 going to be one of those technologies that. You're lucky it's open source. I wonder what Red Hat uses. I mean, they're such you know big users of LibreOffice. What was it? They use what? They use Zimbra. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, right. Yes, Zimbra. Of course. Yeah, of course. I yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah, 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 there is Zimbra. There is Zimbra. All right. Well, now I want to sort of shift the conversation into let's talk about Mozilla and let's talk about why they can't manage a project like Thunderbird, even though it has massive relevance and it is extremely important to the open internet. Let's talk about what they are choosing to focus on. Uh, their brand new app that just hit the iOS app store today that only works with Safari. So let's talk about that. And uh, let's talk about some of the other options and where we might see things end up. But first, I want to talk about Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go check out Linux Academy. This is a platform to train you about the systems that use Linux or the technology that rides on Linux or the basics of Linux. It is really nice. And they, they understand that you are probably fairly busy. So they have a lot of different features that work around your schedule. Availability planners, nuggets, hands-on answers by actual instructors, things like that that make it possible for even those of us who are very busy, even in the holiday season, to take advantage of Linux Academy. I think this would be a great gift to yourself. Linux Academy is something that when I first started working in IT, uh, the kind of courses I wanted to learn from Linux Academy were some of the basics. I was self-taught in Linux, and I felt pretty confident. But I began to realize as I worked with other administrators as system administrators, that maybe there was a few shortcuts I could learn. Maybe I could learn to use things a little bit better. So I enrolled in a local community college, and I went to local community college to learn these things. And I was very, very, very happy to pick up a few small things here and there, but the time investment just didn't really add up. If I had something like Linux Academy, where you have scenario-based labs, where you'll receive access to these labs over SSH that puts you in the middle of tasks common to everyday environments. You work in these advanced lab environments, complete these scenarios from beginning to end on live servers through your favorite SSH client, 
And remember, instructor help is available. The community is full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. And Linux Academy is constantly adding not only new courseware, but features to the entire platform itself, like the new HTML5 player and their new CDN and the update to the Red Hat certified courseware and the stuff in the AWS category that is really, really nice. If you end up wanting to play around with S3, check out Linux Academy. One of the other things I think is kind of nice about Linux Academy is because they're so passionate about this community is they understand some of the things you might face when you are trying to get out into the workplace or maybe when you are trying to just upgrade your lifestyle a bit. It's hard to get that next job. They actually have courseware on that. And one of the things that's really inspiring is when you log into your dashboard, you can see announcements from people who have had success. And it is, it is, it is very motivational. I have to say one of the things that I found about that is two things. I love seeing the people that are trying to do some of the same things that I am have success doing it because you realize it is actually attainable to you. That is very encouraging. But the other thing that I found that works really well for me is the way it breaks it down in hours. Things that were massive concepts like learning OpenStack or Python development. We were talking about Ruby and Python on the pre-show uh, these are things that are broken down into hours on Linux Academy. And I know that they really care about this stuff. This is what they focus on. It's not just a checkbox of a feature. It's what they focus on. That's such a huge deal. I mean, even just listening to ads on the radio, you hear like three different services that do you know, mm-hmm. online learning kind of oh, – and yeah. they have all oh, kinds yeah. of different services. Oh, yeah. But this yeah. is focused yeah. on Linux. Yeah, and, 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 and I know because I have spoken to the people that run Linux Academy now for a while. We've established a relationship because they've been advertisers for a while now. And I, I know what they tell me about stuff they're working on, and I know the back-end tech they're using to develop that, and it's all Linux. It's all open source. It's, it's like they start there, and then they work with their educators and their developers to build it out the platform. It is, it is seriously inspiring from one content creator to watch them work on – because for them, it's not just the content that they're creating. It's not just the courses. They are also building the back-end infrastructure to manage it and deploy it all at the same time, not just like – Spin up a server, and you have there's seven plus distros you get to choose from. You choose that distribution. The VM automatically adjusts to that distro, and all the courseware adjusts to that distro. That's a neat feature, like to roll out as an end user thing. But think about the infrastructure they had to create and develop to make that possible. And and like when you're doing AWS stuff, they manage like local uh, virtual servers versus AWS instances, like on all behind the scenes automatically for you. They really figured this stuff out because this is what they live and breathe. That's that's the human angle that really gets me. Like, can't I feel like many people in our audience? You can imagine, like, oh, I love Linux. I'd love to teach people how to use Linux for a job. Spread the word. These guys have done it. Yeah, and it's awesome. And you should check it out. That is why I picked them as an advertiser. So you. You go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You get our great discount, and it is a good value. And it also looks good on a, on a, on a review sure does, or a resume. Yeah. It, is a good, it is really a good service, too, by great people. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. You guys are really had a great 2015. You guys are rocking it. Really good stuff. Okay. So uh, today, uh, a couple of big things were announced. Uh, Number one, it was announced that Mozilla will stop developing Firefox OS smartphones. They're done. They're getting out of that market. Uh, I mean, we don't have to talk about it anymore, Chris? Well, I don't know about that. Farewell, Firefox OS smartphones. Mozilla today announced an end to the smartphone OS experiment and said it will stop developing and selling Firefox OS smartphones. It will continue the experiment on how it might work on other connected devices and the Internet of Things networks. Does that include, uh, like, TVs? 
little things, etc. Maybe. I hope so, actually. The announcement was made earlier today at Mozilla's developer event in Orlando. And uh, a lot of people have been you tweeting about You've got to say Mose Lando. Mose Lando. It's right there. Yeah, Mose Lando. I, I what was, is that? I, see, the reason why I didn't is because people think I mispronounce stuff so often now that I avoid stuff like but that. there's so, no other way. I have Mose Lando. You. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, that is a huge bombshell. And also, uh, Popey <laughs> noticed uh, via Twitter and also on Google+. Plus. Uh, I like how Popey actually summarized this. He said, goodbye, popular desktop email client, Thunderbird, and hello, iOS ad blocker, that only works with Safari. So today they announced they're dropping the smartphone initiative. They also launched a ad blocker for the iPhone that only works with Safari, and they're spinning off Thunderbird. Poby, you have the tweet, so I'm going to go to you first, but I open this up to the whole mumble room, but I'll go to you first, Poby. Uh, has Mozilla freaking lost it? I think they're they're having a bit of pain and trying to rationalize the work that they're doing and i think they were spread a bit too thin across a bunch of projects and i i think it's sad that they're one of the very few free software uh phone platforms is not going to be available in retail stores but the way i understand it is they're going to carry on developing it or it will still be available on github and people can still contribute of course yeah um, and you can still flash your own device. Right. I did this evening. I updated my Firefox Flame tonight. So, you know, the, I don't think it's, it's you know, it, it sounds like a bad Monty Python sketch. It's not dead. It's resting. Yeah. It's, it's not, not completely dead. dead. Yeah, not it, dead I think it it's just a bit of a shame that it's had to end, you know, retail-wise in this way because yeah. that, that, that really doesn't mean it has much in the way of longevity. If there's, if there's right. no... And do, are you also worried about the narrative that it now adds to for these, you know, third-party, these, these, these uh, up-and-coming smartphone OS operating systems <laughs> or these free operating <laughs> systems? Do you think it adds to a negative narrative now? So it depends who you read. You know, if you read uh, some of the comments on Reddit, they are... You know, well, you know, what with uh, Yola having financial problems over the last couple of months, we don't know how that's going to pan out. And now this vague dropping of Firefox OS, that puts all the pressure on Canonical for Ubuntu OS. Or the flip side is, well, look at those two going down the pan, Canonical's next. You know, it depends who you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can find plenty of uh, arguments either way, really. And it uh, it is... Um it does sort of add a little more scrutiny now to Canonical's efforts because there, there's two less big contenders in the game now. And and so people are probably going to be watching what Canonical does even closer now, don't you think? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't write Selfish off yet. Uh, you know, I, I realize, you know, they're under some financial oh, pressure. Oh, I'm not saying there's no other ones, but, but there's been no, two big contenders I, removed from the field. No, but it would be very arrogant. I'm not so sure. It would be very arrogant of us to say, hey, you know, we're still here and look at those guys. They've gone. I, d- I don't think it's that. I don't think that's the, the narrative that I would, mm-hmm. uh, I would read into it. I think, you know, both of those projects are having troubles. You know, we haven't exactly got, you know, handsets in every market. You know, you can't buy a handset in the US. Right. So, you know, we're not exactly trailblazing ahead of everyone here. So, you know, we wouldn't be arrogant enough to do that. So, no, no. I, 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 think I, would, it's I didn't mean to imply that. I just meant to I meant to suggest that perhaps every move now will even be more watched because there's less contenders now to 
attitude comment just on that there are perhaps, right? yeah. perhaps perhaps within within a certain set of interested mm-hmm. you know geeks and phone aficionados and free software people yeah sure i wonder outside that, i wonder I if think there's plenty of people who've never heard of any of them i wonder if that means pragmatic open source evangelists will now start throwing more support behind uh, ubuntu bubble but uh i want to give uh, wizard jet a chance to jump we in can here hope. Yeah, we can. Uh, he says uh, that Mozilla's been floundering for a while, and he thinks this is part of it. Uh, Wizard, jump in and kind of expand on that. What do you mean? Yeah, so for a while, Mozilla's been kind of, kind of like it's flopping all over the place. I guess is the right thing. Like I've been, I I've had a Firefox OS Flame since you know kind of day one, ever since it shipped, and I've been using it as a daily as my daily driver for quite a while. I, I stopped using it a couple weeks ago because I broke the screen. Uh, you know it. It, it's one of those things when when you start sitting in the community and you really watch it, you see all kinds of people that kind of are saying, you know, everything that all the resources that they have are spread so thin. Like they're trying to attack a mobile operating system and a browser and, you know, and an email client. And they, they had Instant Bird, which was another project, which is, you know, a chat client. And then they were also integrating the chat client into, you know, into mail now. So Thunderbird does that too now. So, like, they have so much resources that are spread over such a huge area that they're trying to attack. And then you just have all the chaos that's been going on. You know, like, for example, the, the whole thing with, with Ike leaving uh, Mozilla. You know, I, I'm not going to get into, you know, the whole controversy behind that. Mm. But, you know, like, this all came down and like it's just been hit after hit after hit. And I don't think they've ever gotten the chance to kind of stand up and say, okay gotta find my footing now where do i step next yeah and i think this is them trying but it, you know it, it's here's the thing that i the whole thing so poorly here's that, what i here's what i take issue with if that is the case if they're refocusing you know what's the brand let's figure this out let's double down uh uh and and i i don't i don't quite understand then where this ios ad blocker thing is coming from it's a little weird they're yeah. they're trying they're trying right now because and they say it again and again, like if you if you go to their their subreddit or Firefox, they always everyone the whole narrative now is we're attacking general users. We care about the general users. We don't care about power users. They'll figure their own thing out. All we want is the regular people, and regular people have iOS devices, and mm-hmm. regular people have Android devices. Yeah. They don't have. Yeah, you know Firefox what else though? Regular devices. people use Safari and Chrome. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know how much regular people have I, to choose their web browser, right? Like, and they I don't just think use it was there. regular people that spread Firefox to begin with. Exactly. Not at first, now, anyway. Not when it counted. Yeah, regular. People I agree don't with use you. Ad blockers either. No, no, yeah. they watch all the ads. That's true. I mean, we should be thankful for that. That's what let us get away with blocking all the ads. But <laughs> that's true. Well, on on iOS, I think there's a lot of um, uh, publicity around the integrated ad blocking on iOS now because people have noticed that there's a significant performance gain to be had by blocking all of this stuff on a on a on a mobile device. Yeah. yeah. You know, people don't notice it so much on a desktop because your desktop isn't like so constrained resource-wise. But on a mobile device, there's a lot of advantage to blocking not you know not downloading stuff over your 4G or 3G or GPRS connection and not using those precious CPU cycles to render an animated video or an right, animated which equal battery uh, life. advert or something. That's battery yeah, exactly. life too. So, yeah. the, you know, this is a compelling product. There's a, there's a there's a market there. The guy who created one of the first ones you know went gangbusters and you know people were all over it and 
paying him, you know, wanting to, would throw money at the screen to get an ad block for iOS. So there, there certainly is a market for it. And I think they've been quite canny in creating a product, a positive product, when all the other Mozilla news today has been negative. So you think them having a let's let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's say the Mozilla or whatever whatever brand they're putting on that sort of helps it move to the top. You think that that maybe will give them that that's sort of like a way to introduce them to new users as like a it, it yeah it feels weird that they'd be making an iOS ad blocker, but the it's really more subversive. The long term goal is to introduce them to the Mozilla name, and then maybe they'll switch. Perhaps to yeah. Huh. And the fact that it's called Focus, you know, the whole it seems like their whole all hands meeting is about Focus, is about getting rid of the the products that they they don't need to focus on, and focusing on things that are going to potentially keep the company going and keep revenue coming in and keep their um, their mission statement alive you know the, oh. the open web and and keeping things um you know right for the users how are mozilla going to make money off an ad blocker when so that much was my of their revenue is advert right. generated yeah and and wimpy too aren't they then like damaging potential future revenue sources that could keep them alive well you'd, you'd have thought so it's a difficult conversation to have with your ad networks isn't it yeah maybe it's hey we'll block your competitors well, on annoying yeah. ad networks. Well, this, I, I don't know. this is also a trend at the moment, isn't it? To have yeah. an ad blocker that doesn't. Right. Yep. They, so uh, you would like to have some views. Yeah. And they come down and they yeah, boy, if that's the case, that feels dirty, though. That doesn't feel very good. Yeah. It, it also could very well be that they're just going to try and to live off of their whole, you know, we're going to set your search provider to Yahoo and then we're going to get money from Yahoo or yeah, whatever which, they choose. Which, by the way, is horrible. That yeah, that's I, the biggest I, that's thing running Linux but... Mint this week. Yes, that is the biggest thing. Yep. Is I was trying to use Firefox, yep. but just the fact that they yep. defaulted to yeah, I, they were yeah. unusable yeah. for technical. Yeah, no, uh, searches. It's... it's for people who like to mess with computers. Yep. That was the biggest thing that I noticed, and I completely failed to mention it in my review on on last because it didn't seem like in comparison to everything else worth mentioning, but. The search results on Mint suck so bad because you just – you come to expect as as somebody – if you've been on the internet before and ever searched on Google, you expect things to look a certain way and work a certain way. And so you got two options on the Mint desktop. Your first option is to use the built-in search in Firefox, which uses that horrible Yahoo search. Oh, it's so bad. It really is bad. I mean I tried it. Like I kept trying to use it. But I was trying to set up Linux containers, other technical things. I think think for regular Google, you know, regular searches. No, I think it's terrible. Okay, probably. It's terrible. Especially for the technical yes. Linux specific questions, yes. like but then, but then, you, so then your second option is when when you launch Firefox on the uh, Mint their desktop right there, it, it brings a Mint start page up, and what uh, Clam or some of the folks at the Mint project have done is gone ahead and embedded one of those sponsored Google searches, yes, right there, and so you start searching in that. But the thing is, that also looks like a clown show, and it, there are links it's all a over real the place. Bad theme, yeah, it is. It so 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 what so what I'm trying to tell you is the out of the box experience on Linux Mint is your web searches feel and look horrible and and result like there. It is the worst out of the box web searching experience ever, and it's a weird thing to say, but it's true, isn't it, Wes? Yep. And I think even just going with like DuckDuckGo even would be like way fifty percent better. better at least. Yeah. No. You, there's Bang G and you're. It would you actually look right. So and something I something I, I think you have to understand is it the, it doesn't look it looks like scam search results. It does. They all look like ads or they all phony. Yeah, right. It, it, all it looks, looks phony. like phony crap. And so it all I don't 
I don't trust – I don't want to – like my, my instincts are I don't want to click any of that. I don't want to click that. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a legit search result or if that's a sponsored search result. And and uh, I find myself actually having to go to Google.com and then – so here. So I'm going to pull it up there. So Wes has got it there on his machine. And there you can see there's the Firefox page. Uh, so Wes, go back to the homepage there and uh, do a search for like uh, Linux or something in there. I don't know. Just search for something. Just because I want to show people like – you see how they all look like ad results? They all look like ads, don't they? They really do. It is no good. It is no good. Now, okay, so go back. Uh, and now search for Linux in the Firefox search box. Go up to the search box there and, t- and search for Linux. And, yeah, you see uh, – oh, oh, you switched it to Google. You already switched it to Google. <laughs> yeah, you said – Here, here yeah, you go. Okay. This is what you see. Yeah, there you go. And that's actually not so bad, but it's still not that good. There's too much going on there. And I got to say, just, just the – I don't know. It really speaks to the quality of Google, is and, and I hate to say it, but yeah, the search results that you get are a yeah. lot more meaningful, and it's a lot easier to decipher what's yeah. meaningful and what's not. It is really like you. So you know, you sat down, and within tw- twenty seconds, you had it changed. You already fixed it. I don't think I. Ch- I think you changed it. Oh, maybe Rikai changed it. Rikai, Rikai. thanks, Rikai. He, yeah. He's got everything here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it works in the studio. Rikai did it. Rikai knows what drives me crazy. Uh, so yeah, he probably fixed it, but uh, it is it is not a hard fix. But uh, defaults do reign supreme, mm-hmm. and so it, it was a really bad out of the box experience that I just neglected to mention because uh, it, it, it made me feel un- it made me feel unsafe. And I think it's one of those things where Mint has so many other defaults out of the box that do are are better than other competitors. It sucks that this one is worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, it's using Firefox. Uh, anyways. Well. <laughs> Uh, just kidding. I love Firefox. Uh, I found this whole Mozilla conversation to be rather fruitless, though. I don't really know. I guess I like Popey's take on it that maybe this is their way to try to introduce Mozilla to the masses. Uh, it seems like, honestly, perhaps giving up on Firefox OS and focusing a little more is actually a very reasonable thing to do. Um, I had some hopes pinned on the project, so that's why I'm a little disappointed. I am, I am as well. But I, to be honest with you, uh, if I am looking at it objectively – it makes a lot of sense if you have limited resources, limited right. funds, and limited time. And compared to like Canonical, they have a lot less experience packaging an operating system, which is different than a web browser. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, I just, I just would love now to see where this new philosophy takes Firefox itself. And I think, uh, yeah, exactly, because Mozilla has been a good bastion for the open web, like they say. You know, it's a little cliched, but it's true. And I think we do. I hope that they succeed because I would like there to yeah. continue to be an organization that represents that. That's interest. exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, Kitson, I'll let you take it out because I know you've been wanting to touch a point on the identity thing. So go ahead. Expand on that. Yeah. I think that uh, Mozilla is uh, basically – you know, they're, they're a company with a history. They've been around uh, for almost 15 years now. They have – uh, an identity crisis right now because they're trying to figure out where the market's going to go next. Then they're just unable to do it, so they're just sticking their finger in the wind, seeing which way it goes. That's why they, uh, you know, want to abandon uh, Thunderbird, and that's why they've abandoned uh, uh, Nightingale, which is their music player. They've also abandoned uh, their standalone uh, chat client. I don't think anybody's doing much development on Chatzilla either. Uh, and the other thing is, is uh, Firefox is such a huge product. There's all this technical debt that goes along with it, uh, like point. Zool and all of that kind of stuff oh, that yeah. they need to maintain. Yeah, it's a difficult position, and uh, Thunderbird has inherited a lot of that technical debt. Yep. 
And so there, are, there is a very honest discussion going on right now of maybe it's time to rebase. And that would be basically a, a reset. QT Thunderbird, anyone? <sighs> yeah, I'd be down for that. I would actually think, well, that'd yes, be, right? I think that'd be really good. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. I, I'd like to see a no native uh, yeah, Firefox. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, of course. This is how it's going to go. There'll be a Thunderbird core, right? And right. then there'll be a Thunderbird QT and a Thunderbird GTK and a Thunderbird, etc. Thunderbird, there'll be a Thunderbird web, of yep. course. And then we'll still complain about the dependencies it pulls in when you try to install it. <laughs> and it's going to the Thunderbird backend is going to run on top of Node.js. Oh, you well, just of wait. Of course it you is. Wait, it's going to happen. <laughs> oh, man. We've called it here. We need our own red book. Yeah, we do. We do. That's a good, that's a good end the of 2015 book. prediction right there. I think that could happen, actually. Hey, you know what else could happen? You could have your own cloud server in less than 55 seconds. Go to digitalocean.com and you use know, our promo code Unplugged. One of these days, we should demo that. We should just spin it up on the air because it is 100% true. How come I've 55 never, seconds. How come you I've never just have that? It. I don't know. We could like, and we could like, you know, each time we could do like a different kind of server. It is, that's a great idea, Wes, because it is a really easy way to get going with your own Linux rig up in the cloud that is super fast. Their entire infrastructure is Linux-based, SSDs for their, for their hard drives, 40 gigabit e-connections to each hypervisor. You can get started in less than 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only $5 a month. Use our promo code DOUnplugged, one word, lowercase, and you get a $10 credit. Try that $5 rig out. Two months for free. You get 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD, because like I said, they're all SSDs, one CPU, and a terabyte. A terabyte of transfer. And they've got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and Toronto. That's the FUNSA data center. I'm just putting that out there. They don't say that, but it, I mean, come on. Yep. Uh, and also, it's that interface. That Interface is so simple, yet you get everything done. You can create your machines. You have an HTML5 console to watch a machine from the BIOS post all the way up to when the operating system Love starts. It. I do too. Very nice. Very nice. No flash needed. Nothing like no, no Java. of course not. You don't need that oh, Java, Java runtime. Yeah, that won't even work in today's modern oh, browsers. Don't get me started about mustaches and Java. I have rants for both. The number of load balancers that have never up- updated at just... Mm. Drives me wild. Mm. Also, one of the things that's really great about DigitalOceans is they've DigitalOceans. DigitalOceans has got lots of Linuxes in their ocean. Uh, obviously, they're going to have your Ubuntu's. Why not? You got your latest Ubuntu's. You got your LTS's. They also have CentOS. Ah, Ooh. oh, now that's or starting to make Red sense. Hat kids. Yeah, or Debian. You or know, Debian. you want to go old school, just good old tried and true Debian. They have that available as well. But one of the things they did that was really cool is they worked upstream with CoreOS and FreeBSD to make sure that they're just boom. Right in with the channels from those projects to get updates directly. They got the latest Fedora up there because, yeah, Fedora is making progress, and especially with DNF upgrade. I've got a Fedora 23 DigitalOcean droplet that I'm going to continue to upgrade from release to release and just see how it goes. Yep. You can see how that goes. But one of the things that's really nice about their interface is their one-click deployment of applications. I tell you what, you can get something deployed that's super fancy in no time. You go to DigitalOcean.com, you use the promo code Unplugged, and I tell you what, you'll love it. In two months. Now, Popey, you just created a droplet right now? Yep, during the show. I was, uh, <laughs> while, you, while you were talking about uh, Ting, I noticed there was an advert uh, or a, uh, an article about um, a daily show with uh, John Stewart had been on it. And uh, I clicked the link and it didn't work because I'm in the UK. And it yeah. says, no, you can't use that. Right. So I thought, ah, screw you. So I spun up a DigitalOcean droplet, Brilliant. grabbed YouTube DL mm-hmm. on my droplet, mm-hmm. grabbed the video, and then pulled it down to my local machine. And I'll watch it later. I tell you Thanks what, it's much. handy. Shut the droplet down, done. It's rather handy that they have, da- they have data centers in London and they oh, have yeah. data centers in San Francisco and New York. So depending on your preference. And 
that API, right? Like, so what Popey just did, mm-hmm. that could be one shell script. It's up. It, <laughs> yeah, Ansible installs everything. Exactly it's done. Exactly that. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> it really is pretty slick. And, you know, the great thing is, is because, honestly, I would never write that code. The code's already up on GitHub. There's right. a lot of good right. code. Yeah. It, you pull it down, you run it, you're done. You're done. Bob, Bob is indeed your uncle, and you can say hi and Merry Christmas to Bob. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code DOUnplug. There's so many things you can use it for, just like we have. And I think... Uh, that DO unplug code will give you a little opportunity to try it and see what you can do. You'll be pretty impressed. You'll after your first uh, package upgrade or update, you'll be sold. Oh, it's so fast! <laughs> so it's awesome. It's awesome. Plus, what you spent five dollars? Oh my! So I want to try something kind of uh, never done before here on the Unplug Show. Are you ready, there, Wes? Probably not, but let's do it anyway. I want to talk about Crossover Fifteen. Crossover Fifteen came out today. And uh, it is um, their release that includes uh, Wine 1.8, the latest Wine 8, which, you know, brings like tons and tons and tons and tons of improvements. They have experimental early support for like DirectX 11 in this. 11? Uh, 11. That's impressive. Yeah. And also Crossover now uses Pulse Audio as the backend sound system. And they've completely redone the user interface. Completely redone the user interface. Uh, for uh, for Linux, so Crossover Office, if you're if you're not if you're not familiar with it, is a Linux desktop application that takes Wine and really repackages it. And if you're watching the video version here, I'm installing it right now on my computer. And I wanted to go through this installation with you because it's kind of familiar, but not for the Linux desktop. And 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 this is really this is really where Crossover begins. Is if you have come from the Windows world to the Linux world. This immediately feels familiar. It's a setup wizard. So, Chris, how did you start this? Oh, you know the story. But the long version is – I mean the short version of the long story is I had to have Exchange compatibility in order to I use the see. Linux desktop at work. And Evolution wasn't doing the job. I had to be able to use Outlook. And, 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 and I was kind of new to the Linux desktop. And what the Crossover gives you is a really sort of out-of-the-box, simple – and back then, everything was installed from CD. Like, so it managed well, of all of that, right? So it would tell you when to insert new CDs. And it would, out of the box with a wizard, I could install Office, have full Outlook, and be ready to go. License like, it like normal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyways, I'm going through the installation right now. So it installs an Opta CX Office, which is where like, all the base stuff I like stuff that goes. it you know, puts itself aside mm-hmm. in the file system. That actually is really kind of handy because you can – you can have crossover wine and you can have regular upstream wine installed. Like separate bottles yes. and the whole play on yeah. Linux. And so that's very nice. So now it's installed here on the desktop and uh, I can hit finish. And when I uh, go to my menu, there will be a crossover entry that, was, uh, that is created. And I will launch crossover here. And you'll immediately notice the uh, – if it launches. Oh, so this is actually kind of nice. It doesn't do this on all distributions. But on Ubuntu-based distributions or Debian-based distros – it does do this. And it says there are several uh, dependencies that I need in order to make Wine applications work correctly. So it immediately launches the terminal. Ask me for my pseudo Ask, password. That's the big part right there. It gets it in there and then it installs the dependent packages that are necessary to make sure that your out-of-the-box experience actually is pretty nice. And so this is something that you wouldn't – starting right here, when you're trying to run your own application under Wine – you would need to go Google, well, why isn't my Wine application running? Yes. And maybe you, this is your first time on Linux. You're trying it out, seeing if you can make it work. Yeah. Or, or really, even if you've been using it for a while, like, do you, okay, you, it's so, instead of having to do this, I try to launch the application, it fails, and then, okay, I go get this dependency, now I need this dependency, and each one is a Google search. 
before you even try to do anything, this says, hey, th- this environment's never going to work. You need to install a few packages. And then it goes out and gets those packages for you automatically. So you never get into that game of trying to figure out what dependencies need to be installed to run this properly. It just manages that for you. So I, I actually think that is worth some value right there. But then once you have uh, – once it does that – it brings you up to their brand new interface. This this doesn't look anything like Crossover has looked under Linux for, for a decade now. And you click install software. One of the first things that happens is it says, hey, for better results, I could go out and get a new update of all of the available applications that will work under Crossover. Would you like me to do that? And I always say yes. So I say always update. And it has a UI for telling you it's sort of like going out and getting a new list of packages. And then after it's done, I will have a category of app- – I will have broken down by categories – Different applications I can install. So I can just search for something like Quicken. I hit search. And it will it, – Quicken uh, – basically every version of Quicken is on here. Although I don't know why the search isn't working. Oh, there it goes. Quicken. And so you can see even up to Quicken Look 2016 is on here. So if you need That's to use – more Quicken, Quicken than I would ever want to run. <laughs> I know, right? But if you, if you want to But use, if you need to. If you need to use Quicken under Linux. And uh, this is something – the, the crossover development team specifically focuses on to make sure this application works. It's even got a star rating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's other things in there that don't necessarily have such a good star rating. You can also just browse the available applications. So uh, you can go and you know go to games, and you can go to uh, online games. And a good thing here is like this installer doesn't look horribly unnative, right? No. Like it, it fits right into what yeah. your desktop experience. Yeah, and so say I wanted to play Star Trek Online because uh, – well, you do. Well, it's Star Trek, and uh, I do actually want to play it. You click it here. It gives you the rating. And when I say continue, one of the nice things is is there's several installation options for the installer source. It can get the uh, Star Trek Online installer for Steam. We also did this with uh, Batman Arkham City right. earlier before we started the show. It can download the installer directly from their website. Or if I have the installer locally, I can just point it at that. I don't. So I'll just say I can choose download the installer. Now, when I continue... It will create the English version. Uh, it, will, it will go and get the English version of Star Trek Online. It will download the file. It will create a Windows XP bottle named Star Trek Online. And then it will begin to install the additional dependencies that it needs like DirectX, Internet Explorer because the launcher uses Internet Explorer to render. Right. So it installs Internet Explorer. It gets the minimum versions of those that it requires to function. And then it locks it all down into a static bottle that is isolated from all of the other Wine applications I use. So their changes will never affect my ability to play it's Star Trek Online. It's not going to break on you randomly. Right. It'll just work. So that is the – go ahead. Uh, I've used uh, Play on Linux quite a bit. Yeah. Now, I've, I've resorted to saying I will only accept native Linux content because I always seem to hit one issue is – we use CDNs now. We use Steam to get our games. And our games that may be Windows-based but use Steam, whenever that updates, you hit wine regression. Does Crossover have a particular way of dealing with this to where your games and your save files don't just break? Because that's my main issue with Play on Linux. Mm, I can't really answer that because that is always a possibility. But so the way Crossover – so we, before the show, did Batman Arkham City – and Arkham Asylum. And uh, what what Crossover does is it creates a bottle for each game. So that's like an isolated container to use today's parlance. And it actually installs DirectX in that bottle. It installs Steam, Windows version, in that bottle. You log into Steam. It then downloads Batman Arkham Asylum into that bottle. And here, I'm going to pull your screen up, Wes. 
and it installs Steam. Then Steam goes out and gets the game, and it uses the Steam game to actually use it. So uh, uh, the answer is it's, it installs Windows Steam. It installs the, it uses that client. So it, that's kind of the usage paradigm, and, I, and then Crossover seems to be built for that. So there you go. Wes just launched That's Windows there. Steam here. Yeah, Windows Steam, which is kind of weird because it looks a lot like Linux Steam. It really does, which, I mean, testament to Valve there. So, Wes, why don't you – okay, so minimize Steam there, and uh, why don't you launch like uh, – this is an example, uh, the Excel viewer there. Just you can double-click on that as an application, and uh, – it will it will look like the regular old version of Excel Viewer, and I want to. Then what we'll do is, and you have to do the trial. You have to acknowledge the trial because I didn't register it on there. There you go. So look, it's got the nice new. Uh, what do they call Isn't that? Isn't that a beautiful? What do they call that? I forget. The now. ribbon. The ribbon. It's got the ribbon. That is the Excel Viewer. Now, Wes, go ahead and close that. Uh, and uh, get it out of here. Get it out of here, Wes, and click on Install Windows Software there. And let's just walk through that. It's it's the bottom of the UI there. Uh, and uh, why don't you search for Word Viewer in the search box there? Because this is free. It'll just automatically download it off the web. It could install full-fledged Office as well, but you would actually have to have the installation media. I see. Which we do not have here at JB1 Studios. Right. No, no we do of course not. not. So, okay, so search for Word. or, or you, can, you can probably just put Word in there or something like that, and it will come up. And and it has it. Oh, what, here we go. Would you like two thousand three or two thousand seven? So this is the nice thing too. Is sometimes you want older versions of Windows software for compatibility Those are testing. Those files you're getting from your client, etc. And so this bottle environment makes it possible to have different versions of Windows software on your Linux box. So which one did you choose? Two thousand seven. Yeah, Why not right. Because that'll do the, uh, the the doc act. So then you say continue. And what's it say there? It's going to go out and get those files. English version. Yep. We'll download the installer. Mm-hmm. We'll install into a new Windows XP bottle named mm-hmm. Microsoft Word Viewer 2007. So even if you're just looking at the bottle, yeah. you know what's in there. And what's nice, so you see how they did Windows XP is what they do for Windows software is the lowest common denominator. That way it's not going to try to do something super fancy. Right. It's not going to work it's under Linux. all the updates, all the yeah. patches. Right. It, and, and the software goes, oh, I'm on XP. I'll just give you this. And it's just honestly – Functional, right? right? It's just basic. Okay, so hit next there, or whatever it is, install or whatever your option is, and now it goes out and it's going to go out and pull out each individual dependency and say trial there because we're just doing the trial version. Now this is going to walk you through all of the software you would need to install before you could run the viewer. Uh, Chris, I have to ask: Do you accept the license agreement? Hmm. Hold on, Wes. I'm not so sure. Uh... Yes, I'll accept All right, that. Let's and do it. it. <laughs> okay. Live on All air. Right. And you can just hit next. You don't have to put anything in there. And then just, yep, next, next, next. All right, so you're going through. It's it's bringing you through each uh, type of dependency package, like the redistributed files, the library. It's the real experience installing yeah. Microsoft software. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real MSI installation. You're going to choose your – so there you go. Now you just compl- – now hit OK. And now hit OK there. And you'll see in the background, Crossover will finish things up. It'll get any of the last things that need to be done. It's downloading these off of Microsoft's site right now for you. You don't have to go get these files yourself. And now it's done. And now it's been added as an icon there. And also, Wes, it adds those. Blammo. Yeah. And it also, go into your menu there. You can close this. Go ahead and close this. Uh, and then go into your menu there. And if you look around, like I think if you go into Crossover anyways, or maybe an Office category. Yeah, an Office. It, I think go to your Office. Or did it add them to your Office category? You know, I don't. I only see LibreOffice right now. Okay, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure if it does with the viewers. It will. It can integrate them. Oh, in. here we go. Windows application. There's a whole separate yeah. category. Oh Look yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, it can integrate them in with the desktop menuing system as well. That's really nice. It is really nice. And so this, t- especially for you're trying to migrate your friend to Linux, right? You install this, mm-hmm. you set it up, and they're right in their 
start menu, I say with quotation marks. Quote, unquote. It looks you a lot know, like Right. Like menu. they can just yeah. load Word if that's what they need yeah. for work or whatever. Yeah. So it is uh, – it, it's a pretty nice UI. And oh, oh uh, if you go, go here, Wes, to uh, – let's see. I think it's a view. I'm not sure what the uh, menu option is there. There's a way to view bottles or Show something bottles. like that. Show bottles. Here we go. Right yeah, the so there here. on the left there, it has broken out each container environment – in a so you can have different service packs, .NET mm-hmm. installs. Et and if you right click on like one of them, you have different options. Like you can shut down all of the running processes in that bottle. So if you've got like a Windows app that's being you weird, can run a command install yeah. software into bottle. Yeah, that's that, awesome. Yeah, and you can also launch control panel applets. So you can manage like your different control panel settings. You It'll can bring open it up in the C drive right there. Yeah. You can modify it yourself if you need to. Which is something you need to do if you're going to use uh, if you're going to play Star uh, Star Wars: The Republic through crossover. You need to be able to right click on it and go. Um, Edit one of the launcher dot settings wow. files, and it's it just makes it really easy to do all of that. So, uh, anyways, it's crossover Office version fifteen. Now, here's the thing, Wes, uh, and uh, us Linux users, we're not used to paying very much for software. No, we're not. It's sixty bucks. It's sixty bucks. Uh, but they do have a promo code going right now. I got info in the show notes, and uh, you can get it if you use like the promo code. What is it here? Um, CX fifteen. You get fifty, or you get twenty five percent off. For their uh, new release, and I will say, That's if you are a user play. of wine, you know yeah. these people contribute. Yeah, the, all this goes back upstream. That's the other thing to mention. Right? So, and so you are helping uh, future development of the wine project, and it's a lot of work. Like, can you imagine being a wine developer? Like. That's a lot of thankless, just like, oh, how do I make this yeah. Microsoft crap work yeah. on the Linux desktop? Yeah. Right? That's a lot yeah. of work. So it, it's kind of cool that there's a commercial effort to help support that effort. Yeah. And the 60 bucks is for this version, but they usually do many updates. And like when the new versions of Ubuntu or Fedora or OpenSUSE, when major versions come out, they generally issue a new update. And your purchase covers those updates for this version. Nice. So I always buy every major version, and then I just get all of the updates for like a year or whatever it is. And I end up installing it on any serious workstation where I want to be able to run any Windows application mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I, I almost prefer to use things with regular straight old wine because then I just drop to the command line wine, the executable name, right. good EXE, to go. Right. Yeah. But if it's ever more advanced than that, there's dependencies or I want to be able to revert or take snapshots. Or something that's going to be installed like appliance life yeah. long term. Or like my game, like Star Trek Online. Yep. I just want it to work. And that's where I use Crossover. And I've, I I don't know exactly how long I've been using it. But I think I've – I think I think since 2003. But I'm not I'm, – I'm not quite sure. It's been a long, long time and I've bought every single version. They've never, ever paid me to promote it. They've never paid me to talk about it. And I almost Don't cover- even know you exist? <laughs> yeah. No, they know I exist. Uh, we uh, actually might talk to them on Friday uh, oh. for uh, the Linux Action Show. They were going to join us today, but the scheduling just didn't work out because their uh, CEO is on uh, vacation. But he may come back on Friday. And if he is back, we'll talk to him. And uh, maybe we'll get that in the Linux Action Show. So uh, anyways, yeah, uh, go check it out. We'll have links in the show notes. It's just a really great piece of commercial software that's managed to be around for a long time, um, and I, I like that about it. And it's available. It's been available for the Linux desktop, and it's made switching possible. And if Quicken or something like that is one of those few applications you need to get – And that's a big deal for a lot of small businesses. Huge, you know? huge. Huge, huge. Actually, it's a huge deal. Yeah, I've used. I've had to use it myself in the past. You it's, know, it's, it's. I think it's up there with AutoCAD and Photoshop. Yep. Definitely, so, I think it's a big deal. They make it work. Oh, also Photoshop. I think with starting with CS, which isn't the latest, but CS and earlier um, work beautifully under crossover. 
just give you all of the stuff you need to get it going. You just point it at the installation file, and it sets everything up for you. Integrates Photoshop with your desktop. It can, you can even associate you know, file extensions with Photoshop. Wow. It's like having Adobe Photoshop on your Linux desktop, full-fledged. Full, full and if you're okay with things like version 7 of Photoshop, which really is fine, really, it is flawless under crossover. There is like nothing that doesn't work. It's amazing. And, and it, it, I mean, it is good enough under crossover that I think you could use it full-time as your daily driver. And it is just – that's a big deal. So they, take, they make Quicken and Adobe Photoshop very easy for non-experienced users to get going under Linux. And I just don't think the project and the company gets enough attention. And the other thing that burns me is they make way more money on their Mac product, which is total shit. Wow. Because they've been around for Linux way longer. And if Linux users would just step up a little bit and buy something from time to time – uh, then we wouldn't. Yeah, we don't pay any license fees, so I mean, yeah. And then they release got cash something in your pocket, and then they release something for the Mac, and that's what sustains the business after all these. It's just it drives me crazy. So we go out there and buy something, and uh, yes, that is true. Uh, it is uh, it is a proprietary, which it's is negative in the freedom dimension. But it is a commercial product that contributes upstream, right? Which I, mean, is I think we see twist. similar things with Valve, with Netflix, right? These are all kind of areas that are open source ish in some ways. Yeah, they're not quite at the end user perspective, but they might help our cause in the long yeah. run. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I wanted to mention something. So now we talk about stuff you can pay for. Let's talk about stuff you get for free. Uh, we are doing swag for the holidays. We just gave away a really really cool Linux Action Show glass coaster, which was neat. It was a thick piece of glass with the Linux Action Show logo in there. Uh, we gave a, we, we're giving away all kinds of swag. If you have successful Patreon payments in November or December for the uh, patreon.com slash today or patreon.com slash unfilter patrons pages, Patreon pages, pay- I'm confused. Patron pages. Uh, then you just have to watch for swag links in the show notes of any show sometime in December, like Coda Radio or other shows, TechSnap, shows like that. There's swag link. Wig, just click it. There's just a link in there. Just swag links in there. And then you get entered to draw. And if, if you think about this, the pool is not that big. So you have to be a successful patron. So you can just go Which to means pa- you love JB a whole lot. And you're helping us. You keep us going. Patreon.com slash today. You have to be a successful. Well, so, that, so, so you know the total number of people that is because that number is right on the Patreon page. And then there is only a subset of those people who are going to click the link and enter to get the swag. So uh, I'm just saying is a hack, the chances of actually winning something are extremely high. And uh, Wes, you saw it when you got here. It's beautiful. This is badass is what this is. Full uh, Christmas fever up yeah, in here. So, and, and legitimately so, each one of those boxes has wrapped swag for each show. Whoa. Each show has its own individual swag that is unique to that show, that is a callback to the show, that uh, when you enter the swag drawing – We'll be giving out through December and, and maybe January, depending no on way. how many people sign No up. way. Uh, and they're all extremely cool. Uh, that, that lamp. You can see the lamp there. Yep. Uh, Did uh, you the lamp, lamp is so cool. <laughs> it's great. Angela it, is amazing. Yeah, it is. And each ornament has a, uh, has a special show saying on the back of it. So you can see the front of the ornaments there. But each ornament on the back of it has something unique to the show. I will be looking at that yeah. after the show. Yeah, and each, each box there has a unique swag item related to each individual JB show. So here's how you get in. Go to patreon.com slash today or unfiltered, depending on where you want to invest. And then you will be entered for the drawing once. One more thing. You find the link in the show notes for the shows that you are You got to pay attention here. Mm-hmm. And once you go in there, you have those two things. Bada boom, bada bing, bada boom, bada boom. Bob's your uncle. Say hi to Richard. You're entered. And that's all you got to do. It's, it's, 
It's really quite easy. That's just a false belief. Yeah. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. All right. So there you go. I just wanted to mention that. Patreon.com slash today also helps all of the shows. Wes, was there anything else we wanted to cover before we get out of here? I don't no, think so. No. All right. Mumble Room, is there any final thoughts you wanted to have before we get out of here? Anything that doesn't go into the uh, post show? Going once. Going twice. All right. They have spoken, Wes. That brings us to the end of 122. Now, I would invite you to join us live next week because it is the last live show before the holidays. We'll be back the week after Christmas, but the Christmas week, there's going to be no Unplugged Live. That's crazy. We do have something very special that will be going out. So please watch. Please tune in. But it won't be live. So why don't you join us next week for 123. Hang out with us for the live show. JBLive.tv. Everyone's welcome. Yeah. And also submit content, Linux Action Show to Reddit.com. We also have feedback. Go over there. Give us your thoughts. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. And we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Wait, 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 you said commercial software. All right, jbtitles.com. Now we have to name this beast. I'd just like to say that uh, Crossover has Age of Empires 3 patch 114 up in here. Now, does it have yeah. a web installer? Because that's the real sweet spot when it just goes and gets the setup off of the web for you. That's yep. the yep. – it does? AOM.zone.com. I have no idea. Do it. Hit install. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I've been wanting to play that game. So <laughs> that's what I love is sometimes these scripts – like sometimes you have to supply your own executable. But right. sometimes they just go get the executable. Like if, they, if there's an executable. If there's an EXE on the web somewhere, they will stick it in, in there. In true Windows style. <laughs> I love it. So now we're going to be playing some Age of Empires here in a little bit. We won't even have time for future shows. No, no, screw that. So um, my new machine has got, has got some fancy brand new technology in it. This is the first time. It's my first computer that I've bought that's new, as in new computer that's new to me. Yeah. That is not behind the times. It's like... <laughs> bang up to specification right now so i've got one month Rocking where the i can enjoy three. it <laughs> yeah 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 i've got to, it's, a, it's a dual pentium 3 uh, Ooh. With, uh, 128 megabytes of nano yeah. it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the uh the tippity top um i7 intel nuck really uh, which uh, generation yeah. congratulations sir the broadwell cool Whatever, nice. whatever the whatever the one with Iris sixty one hundred. Oh yeah. Graphics. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. We've got those at work. Those are nice. Okay. That's legit. That's legit. And and uh, I did some research and I found out you can actually buy the memory for the Haswell um, boxes and this will work in this particular generation. So I've got the faster clock RAM, but um, and I'm also going to have to eat some humble pie and take everything bad I said about Black Friday because this wouldn't have mm. happened had it not oh. been for the Black Friday <laughs> deals in the UK this year <laughs> saved. I got about a 60% discount on all of the items I bought. Oh, that's nice. One of one of which is one of these new fancy NVMe um, SSDs, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. 
read read performance is two thousand megabytes a second, and write performance is oh my one thousand five hundred megabytes per second. Ooh. So if you've ever booted a NUC and you've seen that Intel NUC logo, you know the big NUC yeah. that appears in the centre yeah. of the screen, and that disappears. I've got a slightly old monitor, which I'm also going to sort out maybe in the new year. But in the refresh cycle for the monitor to fade that out, the system has booted and I'm at the login screen. <laughs> that is amazing. It's That's like, great. Are you running almost, what I assume you're running? Of course. Okay. Yes, of course. It's <laughs> the fastest booting operating system exactly. on the planet now. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. Um, so yeah, that's made um, that's made a huge difference. Uh, it's quite amazing, actually. Those those new uh, quad channel NVMEs are um, are amazing. Yeah, do man. You, wow, it makes me want to build a new rig. Yep. Do you have uh, a is System D on this rig so you can run like System D analyze and tell us like yes. your boot speed on this? That would be very nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, huh. a minute. <laughs> hmm. How do you? Oh, link to post. That's what you do. A link to post, but you can't. You can't open uh, that the, link to post. Uh, boot, the boot time was uh, one point one five seconds. Wow. <laughs> that is. Hmm. Whoa. <laughs> Probably faster than a resume from suspend would be. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Who needs power management anymore? This is what I'm saying. You know, by the time the screen has realised it needs to go from black to something else, it's it's up and up and running. Wow. What were the specs again? It's. Uh, I tell you what. I'll I'll find the exact model and I will paste the details. You know what I? You know what I've 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 realised that I I if I build a really nice computer, I think it gets me two three years. Like if I build a really nice one, and if I if I go cheap, it's a year. It actually I think saves me money long term to buy nicer computers. It probably does. Invest in the nice stuff now. And look at this. This is officially three years old here, well, right? And so, well, yeah. No, you you disagree? Well, yeah. My my the computer that it's replacing um, is was purchased in two thousand and eight, and that was a it's some um, dual quad core Xeon with thirty two gigs of RAM. And Nvidia stuff and all the rest of it, and it's got uh, SAS RAID and what have you. And that machine is still very, very usable today, um, and more so because because of Black Friday, I've got four 250 gig SSDs um, striped RAID zero in it now. So that that's sounds kind lovely. Of lovely. Yes. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. the wimpy. You 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 upgraded. Yeah. Yeah, He's not I kidding did. about us well, being that, in the dark ages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, Black Friday really came through for me this year. It was um, it was really terrific. Uh, 